Hey, welcome back everybody to The Floor of the Sky, our little podcast about a very big state, a moderately sized state. Um, That's like the fifth largest or something? Is it? Okay. It's, yeah, it's one of the bigger right. states. We'll call it a large state then. I am one of your hosts, Zachary Gard. I am joined in studio today, as always, by Bradley, the Ginger Avenger Gard. <laughs> We are uh, going to run nicknames so bad. <laughs> we are thrilled to have you uh, with us. Hope you guys have been enjoying this. Uh, we certainly have. Um, so thus far, we've we've covered um, some kind of like tourism things, things you can do and see. Um, but today, uh, I really wanted to dig into kind of just like a profile of a, a historical figure. Um, so that's what we'll we'll be covering today. Um, but first, it's uh, business as usual. We have to review our. Uh, our New Mexico offering. This podcast is essentially an excuse for us <laughs> to <laughs> taste every beer that New Mexico produces. <laughs> no, no, honey. So, we're making a podcast. No, no, I promise. It's about travel. <laughs> so, um, but before we get to the beer, I just, um, you know, I, I was thinking about Silverado, as I do um, most days, and I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe we haven't made the offer yet, but so... Listen, Costner, I know you're listening. Kevin. Kevin. Kevin, listen. Kevin. Either Kevin. Kevin Costner, Kevin Klein. Either one of you guys. <laughs> Definitely. You yeah. want to come on the podcast? Well, we want to do an episode about Silverado, like in the worst way. But it has to be an interview with a cast member. So we will, even if you were like the best boy grip on Silverado, what, hit us th- up. We will. I I want the guy who either said, Stampede. Stampede guy would be awesome. Or. <laughs> who would that be you that, that, <laughs> that guy, guy i would take that, that too that would be amazing so one of those guys is actually i discovered um this is gonna reveal my my <laughs> the deaths of your... <laughs> this, is, this is bad but he's actually in um back to the future <laughs> what? yeah and he's like um I, the I, first one i think it's the first one and he's like driving a jeep and there's some like interaction with this guy in the jeep but he i believe really? he is who would that be you yeah, that's I amazing. believe that's the same guy. So, so we're watching Back to Future Nights, but <laughs> and Silverado. And Silverado. So so yeah. So I mean, the the gauntlet is is there. So right. Kevin Costner, Kevin Klein, Danny Glover. Uh, is Brian Denny still alive? <laughs> I think so. Um, Brian Denny, you're welcome. That one guy, Fahey. Jeff Fahey. Fa- Jeff Fahey. I think Jeff it, Goldblum was in that movie. Jeff bro. Goldblum. How amazing it, could we, would we, that be? Could we have a Silverado reunion, reunion please? Episode, please. So, oh my gosh! I just as I this podcast gets out I there, please help us make this happen. Um, like, tag us in your Facebook post, like "Floor of the Sky," but then also like hashtag Silverado reunion. Um, John, I like John Cleese. John I mean, Cleese is in that. That's right. He is. So, um, yeah. Let's just let's make this happen. Let's get a, a round table. I mean, we will provide the beer. Definitely. Or, uh, Easily. Yeah, so... So, so I just... I just, I just that I just would be Scott Glenn. I mean, that would be an amazing... Scott Glenn, yeah, absolutely. How could... How, I forgot Scott Glenn. I can't believe you did good. Good, Scott good grief. I'm so, He's I, gonna shoot you now. I'm gonna... You're, you're I quit, man. I'm done. So... <laughs> So yeah, Silverado cast Lawrence Kasdan. If you're if you're listening, uh, we'll, we'll invite you to. Um, what if we could do it on location? On location at, 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 at the, the Eve's movie. Ra- oh I man, mean, I would just. Could you? I just. I'd hang it up after that. I'd, I'd be done. just. I'd be done. That'd, that'd be it. Bucket list. So the whole bucket list right there. <laughs> <laughs> All it says is Silverado sixteen times on my bucket list. And so, so 
and and I am I am ne'er one to criticize Kevin Costner, but listen, he's making like the voice of dog race car movies now. I, I don't know. It seems I, I like just, he he could spare the time to make you know one little podcast about his greatest film achievement. I, you know, so so Kev, hit me up, buddy. Floor and we of, will even floor of the sky. At we will even you know just throw this out there. Like Silverado adjacent, so six degrees of separation. So Kevin Costner was also in Open Range with the great, the great Bobby, Robert Duvall. Bobby Duvall. I mean, just saying. I would take if, Bobby. I would, I would. I would <laughs> it's. I mean, I don't know what we'd say. We would sit there and be like, uh, so. Uh, but still, it's an option. So absolutely. So hit us up. Let's make it happen. Um, onward to beer, because that's what we need right now. All right. So um, this is one we have not. Yeah. This is this is this is uh, you're all gonna enjoy this our first time with this this one. This is the Bosque Brewing, Bosque Bosque. Depending who you are, this is the Jetty Jack. Jetty Jack is an amber ale. Uh, says it's gonna be uh, notes of biscuit, caramel, and toast, which are some of my favorite things. <laughs> uh, mild hop bite that dissipates quickly. So I'm a big fan of of the toasty. Beers, um, lighter than a stout, of course, as an amber. Yeah. Neither, neither of us like terribly hoppy. Yeah, beers, you're not so. gonna hear a lot, if any, IPAs. Yeah. Or, there are very I, few I, of those that there's I. There's only a couple that we're even yeah. willing to to try. So it is. Uh, you're gonna hear a lot of, but we do like the pilsners and the lagers. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely yeah. the Belgian whites. I mean, there, there's definitely yeah. some lighter stuff that we we will appreciate. But it's gonna be a lot of this kind of, especially I think <laughs> throughout our <laughs> fall and winter podcast is gonna yeah. be. Lots of dark beers. This is a 5.8% uh, alcohol. So, so quite a bit lighter than pretty, our... pretty much a straightforward. Yeah. So, let's open it up. It. So here we go. Ooh. <laughs> right. As we pour in the glass, very much an amber caramel color. Mm-hmm. Pretty fizzy. like a... Yeah, pretty. Lots of carbonation in that one. But that's pretty beautiful, beautiful color. Love that to light, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, like in Jurassic Park when they find that mosquito <laughs> in the amber. Like, but there's no mosquito there's no in mosquitoes. Bosky's beer. There's no no Bos- mosquito. That's not. Let's, I'm <laughs> legal disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sue us. No, nobody affiliated with this podcast. <laughs> that's right. They have nothing to do with. I will say, never will have anything to do with um, that. My favorite New Mexico beer comes from Bosque, um, but. It's because it's what we're waiting to review it for a very special time. True. So you'll have to you'll have to follow along the podcast to find out what my favorite New Mexican beer is. Ooh. Everybody's on the edge of their seats <laughs> to find out what Zach's favorite beer is. So the aroma is is fairly hoppy, actually. So you definitely get the hops out of the out of this the, the aroma. Right. Good. Cheers. Cheers. Slanja. Mm. So yeah, very, uh, when, when they say the hoppy dissipate, dissipates very quickly, it actually it's it's on the front, and then it kind of disappears, and it's a very like caramely finish, like yeah, and you get but you get like a <laughs> you almost get some cidery tones in there. Yeah. Like some some apple-y, apple-y mm-hmm. kind of pear. Yeah. 
That's in a, a good, good in a good like fall kind that's of a good like fall autumn. Drink, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a nice little. Yeah, I approve. Surprisingly him. complex. I'm, and we're we're I'm drinking this um, Bosky. I don't about room temperature. I mean, yeah. I mean, it might be improved a little bit it, by being a little bit colder. Yeah, maybe but, a little colder would be better. But um, we did just buy it, so. But yeah, that's that's really good. So yeah, like a caramel apple kind of. Very much. I can dig that. And then at the end, you get like that roasty caramely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like bellows out to a yeah a really kind of biscuity toast flavor. That's nice. Yeah. Very Some good. glazed donuts. Ooh. I, I like, mean, I like the way you think, my friend. <laughs> glazed donuts <laughs> anything, but. So that is Bosque Brewing Jetty Jack. So check them out. Give them some love. Tell them we sent you. Bosky's, I mean, Bosky's one. Bosky has a tap room. They make a damn fine beer. They have a tap room in Las Cruces, and they they have several in, in Albuquerque. So it's one of my. I like yeah. that because I can get their beer. Yeah. Almost everywhere we travel in New Mexico. Yeah. So that's a that's a cool. And thing. I've I've never seen. You're it still in, buying a local beer, but it's it's all yeah, over the state. Yeah. I've never seen it in the can um, or in the stores, but if you go to their brewery, they have uh, an oatmeal stout. That is yes, that is quite, a, quite a good. I think it's drift driftwood. Driftwood, I believe. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, um, so yeah. as always, we recommend beer in a glass. You're right. It's coming out of the can. Yeah. But pour it in a glass, opens up the the flavors, lets the gas kind of dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a much more enjoyable experience out of yeah. out of a glass than out of a can. And I I would say I mean we kind of talked about this last episode, but I would say we tend to drink our beers warmer than most Americans like. I Give like, it a try, America. Just right. try it. Yeah. We're not saying hot. We're not saying yeah, like... You don't have to like, put it in a microwave. But just like... <laughs> especially in a metal can. <laughs> That'd be disastrous. Legal disclaimer. <laughs> we did not suggest. No one in this podcast is... <laughs> um, but especially yeah. your darker beers, I feel. Like, yeah. like let them like, let them mellow. Let like, mellow let, let them let yeah. be a, a little warmer yeah. temperature. You'll get a lot more complex flavor. It's like a red wine, right? right. Like, you want it to be... A little warmer so that you get a lot more complexity out of it. Now, the lighter stuff, the lagers, the pilsners, yeah, um, even the Belgian whites, yeah, you'll have a real strong flavor, so it's good to have them yeah, cold. Yeah, have them cold, and yeah. they're a little more refreshing, definitely kind of summery beers, but yeah, but yeah, anything a little darker, definitely give it give it a chance. Let it kind of, yeah, kind of be at a room temperature. So, so um, this is our fourth episode, um, and the the topic uh, today is um is the it's the new mexican thing right it's it's what makes new mexico stand out from other states it's it's kind of our one, pr- one of one of, one of them i mean uh, but, but as but far as it's our pride and joy I yeah, mean, it is it is what you you can't call yourself a new mexican right and, if you don't love and that is well, if if i were to say what's what's like the first thing that comes to your mind when I say New Mexico, like your response is green chili. Green chili, right? We put it on everything. We we love it. We eat, drink, we we bathe in it. People wait for chili we, roasting season. I'm like, that's you can keep your pumpkin spice. Yeah, New yeah. Mexico has green chili, and so it is such a big deal here that like the UPS stores have signs, <laughs> have signs this time windows. of year that say we ship green chili. So I mean it's like it's such a thing that people are are shipping large amounts of green chili to their loved ones in other parts of the country. People who live in New Mexico, grew up in New Mexico and move away, the thing they ask for for people to send yeah. them from New Mexico is green yeah. chili. But, green chili sauce, green chili, fresh green chilies. Yeah. Uh and it's it's not it's not 
it's not green salsa. It's not uh, no salsa verde. It's no. this is green chili. Green is a chili. specific yeah. product. And so, so people who are familiar with with New Mexico, obviously, if you're living, you you know it all about it. But if you if you're not, if you're listening to this from somewhere else and you're yeah. not familiar, it, it it's a distinct thing. Yeah, yeah. and. It, it, you can't just get it anywhere. When my wife moved, because we lived in Missouri for a while, <laughs> when she moved to Missouri and lived with there with me, I would try and take her to Mexican restaurants. Because I lived in Oaxaca, I lived in Mexico, and so mm-hmm. I was trying to take her to 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 Mexican Mexican restaurants. Yeah, and she was never satisfied, and she would always go, "Yeah, it's just not like New Mexico. It's just not like New Mexico." Yeah, and I would say, "What do you what What's the well? You don't have green chili." I'm like, "Well, we have chile. Like they have yeah. spicy peppers. Like what are you talking about, people?" Let me tell you, I didn't understand. You have to experience it for yourself. Green chili in New Mexico is its own thing. It defines the cuisine in New yeah. Mexico. So, and in saying that, I mean, it's... Um, it's not Tex-Mex. It's not like anything else. It's its own yeah, yeah. And beautiful... It's, and it's such a part of the culture here that, I mean, it's it's on t-shirts, keychains, <laughs> shot glasses. I mean, every every touristy place you go to, yeah. there are green chilies everywhere. Um and, um, I mean, it's, it's on our license plates. <laughs> it is on our license plates um, right now. <laughs> it is, it is a, a part of, of who we are um, just as a state and as, as yeah. a community. Um, and so any kind of like just kind of cursory investigation into what makes New Mexican cuisine, New Mexican cuisine, um, it's, it's because of our heavy use of green chili. Um, so you can have the green chili that's, that's roasted and chopped up and kind of, it, it kind of becomes a sauce. Um, it's a very chunky, um, I hate to say salsa, but, and that's kind of the, well, the salsa just means sauce, but the, the consistency, um, yeah. It, so that's, that's typically what people mean. Kind by of it. in its own juices. Yeah. Is yeah. Kind of the... or, or you can add a little bit of lime juice to it, but, um, but that's typically what people mean by, by green chili. Now, if you, if you get red chili, um, it's the same plant. It's just ripened till it's red, and then it's roasted um, and, and cooked down into more of a sauce. So, some of my first culinary almost completely different. I mean, a totally different flavor. Totally yeah. different flavor. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously similar, but but totally different approaches. Yeah. And so that that also affects how you how you use it and apply it. But yeah. So so one of my favorite things uh, to get out here is carne adobada. And I would go back mm. to other places and I would look for it and it was never on the menu. And that's because it requires the, the <laughs> red distinct, chili yeah. to stew the, the pork in. Um, and it's it's fantastic. So carne alivada um, is kind of the red chili. Green chili stew is mind-blowingly. So as I've said <laughs> in previous episodes, I was coming out here for like 10 years before I moved out here. But it wasn't until I moved out here that Brad took me to a restaurant and there was green chili stew on the menu. And I was like, what's green chili stew? This sounds awesome. And he's like, oh, that's the quintessential New Mexican meal. I was like, why the hell haven't I had it yet? So <laughs> It's like the, what your like, abuela gives you if you're like, green chili stew is the thing. So it's, it's a little, I'm still a little hurt by it's that. It's actually he's bitter about it. But, um, but no, I like that green chili stew at Blue Corn uh, Cafe in Santa Fe. I mean, it was like. A spiritual experience. Yeah, like, it, was, it was. That was a pivotal oh, moment man. for Zach. It was so good, and I have, I have, uh, yeah. We make it all the time, and it, it is just amazing. Now, one um, of my, one of my recommendations, and it's one that speak mainly because you can get almost any New Mexican restaurant. So you order chicken enchiladas, but you order it Christmas, which is red and green chili. You order it with blue corn tortillas, and you order it with a fried egg on top. Trust me, just. 
Trust me on this. And one. if you can get any food with, with f- more with more Christmas, I mean, why wouldn't you order why would more you, Christmas? Who doesn't right? want more Christmas? I mean, we have a whole food group, folks, called Christmas. <laughs> it makes everything better. I mean, Just like real Christmas. Who doesn't want Christmas? <laughs> yeah. All year round. Um, so, just kind of a funny like anecdote to kind of explain this. Um, growing up in the Midwest, we have chili. And in the fall and winter, <laughs> you eat chili. And it's, Which we still... I, I love chili. So fan. It's, it's a soup that's made. It's a tomato base. It has beans, meat, spices. Kidney beans and beef. Totally. Um, put cheese on it, make it as spicy as you want. It's it's delicious. You guys put vinegar in it, which is great. I do put white vinegar in it. I love it. Um, but that's, that's like a Midwest thing. So as Brad said, um, Rachel, his wife, came to, to live out in Missouri for a while. Um, and it was chili season, like winter, <laughs> fall, winter. And my mom was like, oh, we made chili. And Rachel got all excited. She was like, <laughs> chili. And so like it got to dishing it up. And she's like, this isn't chili. And we were like, oh, yeah, it is. And she's like, no, it's not. And we had, we had this argument went round and round about, like, what do you mean this isn't chili? Like, we had never heard of anything else. So, so yeah, out here, um, chili is green chili. And um, McDonald's will ask you if you want green chili on your burger. <laughs> which right. means McDonald's, one of the wealthiest corporations in the world, capitulated to local demands. Globally recognized... You know, wherever you go and you order McDonald's, you're gonna get McDonald's, <laughs> right. right? Like, right. they don't have to kowtow or concede to anyone, right? But they were like, "Oh, <laughs> like, New Mexicans oh. aren't gonna eat this unless we put <laughs> chili on it." And it's um, yeah, so it's it's an absolute part of our culture. So I was digging into this, and I I wanted to present this in a, in a compelling way. Uh, without just sitting here and Brad and I going, you know what I love green chili on? <laughs> Which we've um, already done. <laughs> <laughs> um, green chili apple pie. Green chili apple pie is fantastic. Green chili wine. There's green chili beer. There's green chili pistachios. Yeah. Oh, garlic and green Absolutely. chili pistachios. So I was I was digging into this and uh, there actually is a fascinating story on how uh, green chilies became kind of the state, what, <laughs> condiment vegetable i don't know um, i think it is the state the state question is red or green red or green that is the official state question um so the chili as we know it um, it was first grown by pueblo people um so it goes way back to ancient times um and then it was developed by hispano communities um so hispano if you don't know um that's a person who descended from spanish settlers um on this continent before it was the U.S. So basically, Spanish descendants um, in the Southwest before it was U.S. proper. Um, so these people were, were cultivating and eating uh, these chilies. Um, but our, our specific story uh, actually does not begin in New Mexico. Um, it actually um, it begins in Chihuahua, Mexico, and I can't... Chihuahua. <laughs> okay. In all fairness, I actually have it in my notes to tell the, the Chihuahua story. So I used to work for animal control. And I had to write the word Chihuahua a lot. And I could never spell it correctly. And so I looked at it and I broke it down phonetically. Because Chihuahuas bite more people than any other it breed is of true. dog. Um, so I had to look at it phonetically. And so I broke it down into Chihuahua. <laughs> To help me remember how to spell the word. So not too long ago, Brad and I are driving around, I think it was El Paso, and I look at a license plate, 
and it was from Chihuahua, but I was still like in this whole like mental thing of like how I remember how to spell Chihuahua, and I was like, "Oh, that car's from Chihuahua." <laughs> and Brad's like, "What?" And so I I won't. I spent almost a year in Mexico and learned how to speak Spanish, so I'm especially <laughs> sensitive to people butchering so the Spanish language. I will never live down Chihuahua. The, the Chihuahua story. Anyway, now that that's over with. Uh, so our story begins in in Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, now, Chihuahua is a state in Mexico, and it's also a city. So Chihuahua City in Mexico is the it's capital pretty, pretty of Chihuahua State. Um, geographically speaking, Chihuahua, the state, borders U.S. Um, uh-huh. in Texas and in New Mexico. So if you like, if you go into Juarez from right. from uh, El, Paso. El Paso, you're yeah. in the state of Chihuahua. Chihuahua. So not too far. Now, the city of Chihuahua, it's about 900 miles from Albuquerque. Um, so it's, it's, it's way, it's fairly, you know, south um, into old Mexico. Um, but, so our, our, our story begins in Chihuahua in 1871. Uh, and it is, it, it's the story of a young boy named, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> as I'm sure you will, Fabian? Fabian. Fabian. Uh, Fabian Garcia. And he is uh, basically kind of born into poverty. Born into poverty right? um, he's comes from a know nothing family, um, you know, uh, and he's orphaned. I'm not exactly sure when, no, but so by he, the by the age of two, yeah, he is he, taken his in by his. Are gone. Yeah, he's his, taken in by his grandmother. Um, and his grandma is. Uh, she finds work as as a maid and as kind of um, you know. Housekeeper, housekeeper, those kind of things. Um, so, shortly after uh, he goes to live with his grandmother at the age of two, um, she moves with him to the Membres Valley here in New Mexico, and what would become New Mexico. So, the Membres Valley is—it's kind of an agricultural district. It's between um, Deming at the southernmost point and kind of up to Silver City, um, kind of the northernmost. So, that area in between is, is considered the Membres Valley. Um, so, you know, I, I, I have to wonder, here is a, a grandmother, and we don't know how old grandma is at the time, but here she is, um, just lost, I mean, she's lost a child in this whole deal. She's moved from her, her home country, um, and now she has a two to three year old to, to care for, uh, as well as find work and support herself, um. And so it's just one of these interesting moments in history that, like... I, I is there just, any mention of his of the grandfather, or is it just him and his grandma? Everything I could find... It just um, talks about his grandma. just talks about grandma. Um, so, yeah, I just I wonder what... His <laughs> single what, grandmother, yeah, probably. Yeah, what's going on for her. And then, then that time period, you know, in the 1870s, um, this is not... <laughs> culturally, this is not a time where single mothers have a lot of resources, right? right. Uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of a, an interesting idea to, to think about the character of this grandmother who takes in her, her grandson and then uproots and looks for, for greener pastures. Um, so sometime after that, uh, she, she takes a job in what is now, uh, old Masia with the Kassad family. Now the Kassad family, uh, owns uh, one of the largest, um, orchard or fruit producing, um, operations in the area. So kind of early on, 
uh, Fabian is, is introduced to this very aggregate kind of lifestyle. Um, what's, what's agricultural? Agricultural, sorry. Agricultural, <laughs> not aggregate. I don't know, maybe it was an aggregate. Maybe it was aggregate, I mean, um, two different countries. So, but what's uh, another interesting kind of like unspoken element to this the story is the Kassad family um, apparently takes them in with, with very open arms and begins to uh, forward Fabian with education. So they provide for his um, basic, basic education. So he goes... He's with them all the way from, you know, uh, you know, you know, however old he's he like is. A toddler, like yeah, yeah I mean, he's right? pretty he's old, not... pretty young. Um, all the way up to, uh, through high school. Now, what year um, is this? So um, he was born when eighteen sixty something. Eighteen seventy one. So this is before New Mexico was even a yeah, state. Yeah. So yeah. So keep in mind, New Mexico I mean, is... becomes a a U.S. territory in eighteen fifty, but does not become a state until nineteen twelve. So this is well before statehood. Um, and this... So... I mean, this part of Mexico, too. I mean, I don't yeah. if I know the history well enough. But, I mean, Mesilla, in that whole area... I mean, that, that traded hands between the U.S. and Mexico yeah, a and number I, of times. Yeah, and I think it was one of the last places to fly the Mexican flag. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think Mesilla, Val- yeah, Mesilla yeah. Plaza has that, yeah. Um, so this is, this is around 1885, uh, when he's... He's in uh, Messia and begins education. So New Mexico is still a good 30 years away uh, from statehood. Um, so the the Kassad family, as I said, they they educate Fabian all the way through uh, basic education and then arrange for him to go to um, the brand new New Mexico College of Agriculture and Mechanical Arts, uh, which would later become NMSU, NMSU New yeah. Mexico State University. So as it's easy to just kind of, you know, gloss over large swaths of a man's life and history, um, we have to realize that between that point, between showing up in Mesilla and going to NMSU, as it would be later called, um, Grandma probably dies. So he's left completely alone and apparently is taken in by the Kassad family, um, and they send him to college. So, I mean, it's it's an amazing... No, but the... But the, I mean, the the record shows he was a very bright student. I mean, that, that yeah. I mean, throughout his, his his academic career, it seems like he was very yeah. He excelled. Yeah. And, and so I mean, perhaps so, they so, saw they noticed so they this saw and, his promise yeah. and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they um, they send him to uh, to college, um, and he would he would graduate in the first graduating class of <laughs> of crazy. NMSU in eighteen ninety four. Um, so. He guy's a pioneer in like every. I mean, yeah, it really was. And and if you look at pictures of him, um, you know he's he looks like uh, an aristocrat. I mean, he's he's very lean in the face, very uh, noble looking. Where's the mustache? Mustache and kind of the close shaved beard, kind of the, the imperial facial hair, um, and just a a gentleman. Like linen suits and stuff. Like he yeah, looks yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm just a, a gentleman through and through, and. In fact, I think one article I read called him a born gentleman. So, yeah, you know, yeah. he was born into poverty and right. was orphaned. Like, but he but was said, just a gentleman. They said right. that he was just a gentleman. Like, he was the definition of... of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but not only was he, you know, a gentleman and an academic, but, uh, you know, his chosen field of, of academics are, uh, you know, agriculture. So he's he's 
out in the field. He's farming. He's a hardworking individual. Um, so he's, he's really kind of all of these things rolled into one. Um, and they said even despite his, his kind of slight build, uh, he did play football for NMSU. So I, I don't know if that is football in the European sense or if that's the American uh, sissified version of rugby that, that we call football today. So I, I don't know. Um, Not huge fans of American football on this podcast, if you haven't noticed. So he actually, he graduates and kind of goes right into working for the university. Um and in 1907, uh, he marries uh, Julieta Amador, and she is the daughter of uh, one of the most prominent families in the Mesilla Valley. And so, Which, I mean, says a lot about what he's accomplished right, at like, this point. I mean, yeah. this guy's a nobody, you know, orphan. Yeah, I mean, he, born he in Mexico, literally comes from nothing. Yeah, but, yeah. and he winds up marrying the most, yeah, the the most eligible bachelorette in the in the territory. Yeah, <clears throat> and so you know, by by this time. Um, he has become a, a naturalized citizen. Um, he has a master's degree, uh, is actually a very wealthy individual. He starts buying up properties, uh, throughout the, the Mesilla Valley. And, um, you know, his career is basically going nowhere but up. And as is kind of, uh, typical with everyone's life, uh, that seems to be when, when tragedy strikes. Um, so Julieta gives birth in uh, 1909 to their first and only child, and they name him Jose. And sadly, Jose would only live for two weeks. Um, I can't even imagine. So yeah, as a father, I mean that's that's the that's the unthinkable, right? Like that's the <laughs> yeah, one thing you don't nightmare. even you don't even allow your imagination to to ponder how would I deal with. Um, and so again, I have to wonder what's in his head. I mean, he, though he's not a a medical doctor, this is a guy who spent his life devoted to sciences and specifically sciences that are directed toward making things resilient and grow better and stronger, right. you know? Um, so, I mean, this has to be, uh, on every level, uh, absolutely devastating for him. Um, and so, uh, so in 1912, uh, this is, this is kind of a, just kind of just demonstrate his, his, uh, creativeness and in his pioneering sense um in 1912 garcia and some of his colleagues they basically began this like traveling seminar so they load up train cars full of exhibits and they get um, professors and scientists to go with them and they travel around on this this rail circuit and they invite farmers to come and they give farmers access to these exhibits and to lectures from college professors about best farming practices about how to make their plants healthier how to treat the land better how to um, irrigate you know differently and so really bringing this kind of education that these farmers these rural farmers wouldn't be able to get right he brings it to them um, in an effort to just improve the quality of life um so then in 1913 uh, he becomes the first director of uh nmsu agriculture agriculture experiment station so an AES, uh, as I refer to, uh, it's basically a hands-on, real-world uh, research facility um, where they, they look at, you know, whatever the, the topic of interest is, be it cattle or uh, plants or, you know, specific crops. Um, they're there kind of living and working with whatever it is they're, you know, they're, they're studying and trying to make them 
healthier, more resilient, wow. studying the things that are threatening them. You know, right. how, how can we make this better? I mean, this is all precursor to genetic studies. Yeah. And I mean, it's just all like laying the groundwork for not only, you know, the chili crop, which we're talking, but I mean, right. I mean, the, the, the implications of this for agricultural worldwide is, yeah. And, and that's the, the really fascinating thing is I think, at least for me, you know, um, you know, to hear, Oh, he was a pioneering agriculture, you know, agriculturalist, or um, horticulturist, I guess is the, the proper term. Um, that doesn't exactly say, oh, excitement. Really? Yeah. Know? But but to think about it, um, I mean, these are people who have developed and formed the way crops grow. Right. And, that, and, and I don't know about you, but I like eating. I like food. I love eating. But the thing that I think, especially in our modern culture, like we're spoiled by is the predictability of yeah crops and like there was a time that they were like they're like i don't know i hope this works (laughs) i guess it's gonna grow i don't know and and it was these guys was this guy largely i mean he developed ways to predict and define and determine i mean i mean the things these guys were doing created our modern ability to to rely on on and agriculture food. and crops yeah. and food and yeah. yeah and that we could count on it we could have you could buy corn in new mexico you could buy chili in new york i mean yeah. that's these guys you know, made these things possible absolutely and so um so he's the, he's the first hispanic to lead a land grant uh ag station so kind of one of the first uh, really not the first thing he does but i mean that's a, that's a significant uh, accomplishment in his life um meaning so I mean, is that like a a federal grant run. I mean, what's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in which some, I mean, in some sources, and the thing is about that, that people don't always like, there's a lot to prove to win a position like that. Right. I and mean, like, they don't just hand those out. I mean, right. like, yeah. that wasn't just like, Oh, he's the guy that's there. Like he had to prove, I'm right. sure there was probably a thesis. I mean, right. There was work to be it's done. It's not like, yeah, to, he was the only guy earn, still hanging around the to university. Earn yeah, that, yeah. No, right. To be, to be the head of that. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. It's a and, significant accomplishment. And some of the sources I, I found, you know, talked about kind of how he encountered, um, you know, racism and kind of some of the social prejudices, right. Uh, because of his, his kind of obscure uh, beginnings. Um, but he was very proud of, of his Mexican background and he spoke, spoke and wrote in both uh, English and Spanish. And in fact, throughout his entire life and career is a, a prolific writer of um, you know, newspaper articles and research right. journals and um, just, just constantly producing, you know, the, putting out the information that he's, he's gleaning at this uh, experiment station. Um, so then he, he notices in his research uh, that, that only the natives and the Hispanos are eating chilies. Because white people have no taste. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and, um, and then he also notices that the, the, the crops are very, very inconsistent. So there's different blights that affect the, the chilies. Um, some years they'll be really big. Some years they'll be very small. Some years they'll be very, very hot. Other years, not so much. So he, he gets it in his mind um, that if you can make a, a chile that is... Or if you can grow a chile that is... Um, not only consistent in size and appearance, but also in heat and, and flavor, that it would appeal more to the, you know, the Anglo settlers. Um, so this kind of becomes, 
I mean, it's funny to so, read. I mean, he sees the writing on the wall that, like, the direction of the trajectory here is probably I European mean, Anglo's are going to be the consumers, the consumer, yeah. Yeah. The, the majority. Of. But it's funny because you, know, you read about some of the other stuff that he he studies and he gets degrees in and stuff. It's, I mean, it's all agricultural um, based, but it's not like I mean, it, to me, in 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 my very light research, admittedly. Um, it almost just seems like just the work of a very curious, active mind, where he's right. just like, "Huh, I wonder if I can I do this." I, yeah. <laughs> um, so he takes he takes fourteen different chilies and begins to um, hybridize them, and uh, they they all kind of um, either don't have the results that he wants, or they end up dying off um, through different you know different uh, blights, or you know. They're just not strong enough. Hardy enough, yeah. right? Um, except for one. So one survives, and it's hardy. It's it's a consistent size. It's a beautiful looking fruit. Uh, it's it's hot, but it's not too hot. I think the quote is "It's just hot enough." You know, is is what he said about it, uh, and he calls it New Mexico Number Nine. So. It, if there are any aspiring like how, how has punk there, bands out how has there, there like not, um, like a whole series of products another in New Mexico called uh, New Mexico a, Number a Nine brewery listening like where, where is like your a store a restaurant New Mexico like, how Number is Nine a thing products a song why is there not like a New Mexico Number I don't know right it seems like right. somebody should cash in on that by now so so every chili that we eat that we consume that comes out of New Mexico and and again this is all. Um, He's doing all his work and research in Las Cruces. So Hatch is kind of considered the, the chili capital of the state. But this Which all... you don't know, Hatch is just north of Las Cruces. Yeah. Half an hour or so. Yeah. And, um, but this is all, all the research, all the development is being done in Las Cruces. Which, I'm just working on a, a hypothesis <laughs> that like all the best things in New Mexico come out of Las Cruces. I'm just, that's still a little like... Las Cruces to thank you for a lot of... <laughs> If you've ever eaten at Chala's, you will Chala's understand. Chala's Fire Grill in Las Cruces. Um, Two weeks, bro. Oh, yeah. We're out there in a couple weeks. <laughs> so, um, and, and I wouldn't say about hash, just kind of keeping this in mind, is um, if the Chile industry shut down and hatch, it's not like people can just go to the warehouse or <laughs> go to something else. I, Chile makes hatch. There's no town without the Chile crops. No, in fact, I mean, look on your when you buy Chile in the store. Yeah. Even the canned, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, green chilies. I mean, if right. you buy them in you know wherever <laughs> the old El Paso hatch hatch chili is a title. I mean, that's a that's a label that it's also a stamp proudly. It's also a, yeah, stamp of quality. So like yeah, I mean, if you're not buying hatch chili, you're probably buying it from Colorado. Colorado, which is so which is not. Anywhere Just, it's not. I don't even want to it spend any more me, time on it. Makes me throw up like, a little bit in the back of my mouth. <laughs> Colorado <laughs> chili. So oh, hatch is yeah. I mean that's yeah. like. I mean you have New York strip steak. Right. You have. I mean you have you have the Burgundy region of I mean, yeah. hatch, hatch is where chili comes from, folks. If it's not from hatch, just don't Just call don't it chili. It. All right, just don't bother. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> So everything that we eat today comes from this New Mexico number nine. It's all developed and grown from right. this New Mexico. And it's number since nine. been hybridized, right? In yeah, other yeah, ways. yeah. I mean, and, like and strengthened hotter and, and milder. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. right. yeah. Um, so one of the things on a side note here, one of the things I love in this podcast is this episode probably going to go on forever. But like one thing I love about chili and about <laughs> New Mexico cuisine is you can be at a restaurant. I mean, not like like fanciest restaurant, but like you can be at a nice restaurant. 
New Mexican plate that serves New Mexican cuisine. And you can say, what's the chili like tonight? <laughs> because <laughs> it's like totally natural. It's coming straight from there. Yeah. And it might vary slightly. So sometimes they'll be like, it's pretty hot tonight. Or they'll be like, it's fairly mild. Or, I mean, they will sometimes tell you. Sometimes I'll make you sign a waiver. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not, this isn't, this isn't, yeah. chili is not like one of the things that it tastes the same everywhere you go, yeah. every time, all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it's still, even though it's fairly predictable, it's still like one of those things that like. It's just always like a surprise. It's like, always a surprise. Yeah. And it's always so pure and natural that like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's be a little hotter. Some batches are going to be a little. So that's just one of the things I really yeah. love about the New Mexican cuisine, and, the, and it's and it's kind of being based around the, the chili. And also, kind of on that line, chile isn't, um, you know, it's not these like these goofballs that go out and just eat Carolina Reaper peppers to prove that they can eat the, the super stuff. hot pepper. Like right. that's not what there's a flavor. There's like this amazing flavor that goes along with green chili. Um, that is just. Like I said, I mean, it really... You don't, there's nothing else like it. Like yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is New Mexican cuisine. So, sorry, sidetrack. No, 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 no. So, um, so Garcia's uh, personal life would again um, hit tragedy in 1920. Uh, Julieta dies uh, at her sister's house in El Paso. He was gone, right? Like, was he... Or well, was that when the baby was... It makes mention of him leaving for a trip while she's pregnant, but... When I read the material again, it didn't necessarily say oh, that he missed that okay. he missed when she was there. So, um, but yeah, she she was apparently with her sister in El Paso uh, at the time of her death. Uh, so Garcia would never uh, marry again. He basically throws himself even more headlong into his work, um, and just kind of devotes himself to to the sciences. Um, so uh, along with giving us Chile, which is like our identity here uh he he explores and improves irrigation farming in new mexico right. so all modern irrigation farming uh is is due to him um he is responsible for uh, a specific kind of onion that is a major industry here and he also noticed that there was a few pecan trees down in the las cruces area and he wondered well hey can i get pecans to grow here heartily so if you've ever driven through that area of new mexico right. um, there are some beautiful stretches of pecan groves so i'll throw in some some data here yeah, some facts yeah. here right so so for pecans new mexico i didn't know this until recently yeah. is consistently rates in the top three states really in america for pecan production yeah that's a $220.8 million industry in New Mexico. Wow. As of January of this year. So that's, so that's higher than the figure I had, yeah. So this, yeah, this comes from a website I found. So that's this is dated January 2019, mm-hmm. so as of this year. Wow. Onions, $106.6 million Wow. In New Mexico. And chili is a $44.6 million industry in New Mexico. Now, I think it's largely due to the taste of right I mean, right you're right. gonna sell a lot more onions you're gonna sell a lot more pounds right, right, to a lot right. more people than right. people who really appreciate chili but yeah. still almost 50 million dollars a year yeah in chili all because yeah. of this guy all because of this guy yeah this guy's you know, and it, like, you, like you mentioned before like i mean an entire identity around cuisine and I mean, even anthony yeah. bourdain i mean there yeah. are major figures in in the in the world of foodies that acknowledge that what makes New Mexico New Mexico and its cuisine is yeah, the chili. It's I mean, the it's, chili. Mm-hmm. it's what defines us. So this guy, I mean, is there a 
bronze statue. <laughs> uh, there should be eighty feet high right? of this guy. I mean, like where, in, where in is every city in Mexico? <laughs> right? Like, so, is there not? Why is there not the Fabian Garcia Center in every town in Mexico? <laughs> just go like, to find the. Just go to get. <laughs> so learn about him. So. Um, so yeah, so the rest of his life is is just spent in research and writing. Um, around 1945, Garcia is diagnosed with Parkinson's Parkinson's disease, um, and at that point, he he begins to retire and step down from some of his uh, duties at the university. Um, so Fabian Garcia dies on August sixth in 1948. Um, he left. He lived both world wars. Then he was yeah. Uh, he leaves his entire estate to the school to build a dormitory um, and provide scholarships for uh, young Hispanics. Right, specifically for right. So basically, people you know, of Hispanic heritage giving back to you know people who are in the same situation he was in. Um, and uh, and I remember him. I've, I think you mentioned it before. But I remember reading something about where he basically he's on record as like. Telling those students, like, don't ever be ashamed of yeah. your Hispanic heritage. Be proud yeah. of it. Like, I'm proud of where I came from and who I am. So don't ever feel ashamed of that. Right. So, yeah, he wound up giving his, basically his whole life to to yeah. providing that opportunity for them, which is... Yeah, that inspiration. So... But there's, like, three or four buildings there at NMSU, right? Named so after the dormitory him. is named after him. I, I believe there's still, like, a research facility building named after him. Yeah, so there's, there's several things that are there on campus that are dedicated named after him. Yeah, to him. Um, and like Brett said, it's a shame that there aren't... <laughs> monuments to this guy right um now on that note though we recently learned and this is what yeah. is weird <laughs> was, was weird, weird like the coincidence to your yeah like, like alexa heard us not that i have but anyway <laughs> siri maybe heard us but <laughs> but yeah that he is next year will officially be inducted into the national hall of fame in, cultural in, hall of fame in right? kansas i think in it's kansas. like in edwardsville area it's up by the speedway so i mean he is joining the ranks of thomas jefferson George Washington. Uh, George Washington, George Washington Carver, Eli Whitney, Eli Whitney, who invented yeah. the cotton gin. I mean, yeah. he, he's in some fairly esteemed company there with with this yeah. induction. So, and kind of like I said before, and and a bit hypocritical here because I lived not far from the Agriculture <laughs> Hall of Fame, and it was always one of those things like, oh, that'd be interesting to see, but I never made time to see it. Um, but you know, the pilgrimages that we'll make to baseball hall of fame or the rock and roll hall of fame or you know these different things and like i said earlier like like we're eating because of these guys we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're well clothed because some right. of these guys you know um and that's that is definitely worth admiration and you know some consideration and right um and, by, the, and by everything i can see this guy you know, this is a story of a life well lived i mean he he was a good man you know and it's the best kind of story right yeah. i mean the the starting from nothing and making your life right you know, make the world remember you. I mean, that's that's yeah. an incredible tale. And especially right now, I mean, I, I won't weigh in too heavily, but, you know, the immigration debate is, is certainly a heated issue in our, our country. But um, but this is this is the American story of the immigrant it's, coming to America right. and making it better. Changing the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's something to keep in mind when, when um, you know, when, when you hear these, these debates going on, that this is, <laughs> this is the American story that, Right, like, uh, other than the natives, like nobody's from here, right? Like, and uh, you know, and but yeah, so, so, you know, his his story to me is, I mean, there's multiple levels. Like I said, you know, the the ideas of immigration, um, adoption, you know, um, true, you know, really adopted twice. You know, his grandma took him in, 
Um, so hats off to grandmothers who are out there raising um, (laughs) kids, you know, grandkids. Um, but then, you know, this Kassad family who apparently, (laughs) you know, took him in and, and provided for him. Um, adoption is an amazing and beautiful thing. Um, and you know, my heroes in this life are, are people who, who are opening their homes and, and adopting, uh, less fortunate children. So, um, but then, then perseverance, hard work, perseverance, hard work, right. um, dedication. Is, you know, I mean, there's in the face of prejudice. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's the human story and it's, um, you know, so if you live in New Mexico, if you come to New Mexico, um, please eat our green chili, <laughs> take some home with you, share with your friends. Um, there's an element too, right? Of like, cause we, we, we kind of talk about like, <laughs> and I hope people find this interesting. I do, but like, <laughs> like, like agriculture, but like, imagine if this guy hadn't pursued this, Yeah, you know, that's, that's like, what I'm saying. Like, like, like there's, there's an element of like, we all want the glamorous or the, you know, or the war hero or the, yeah, yeah like, we want, we want something exciting and thr- but like, this guy has improved everybody's lives for yeah. the better. And gets very little, yeah. I mean, finally, I think, getting his recognition. Right. But, like, yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember reading, probably on Facebook or something, but I mean, people commenting in New Mexico, grew up here, went to school here. Yeah. I never heard of this guy. Right? Yeah. Like, we didn't well, know like this school. Why, isn't, why, isn't, he, yeah, why yeah. isn't there a bronze bust of this guy? <laughs> right. and, yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, he's just a great story. And, and yeah, what a lesson for all of us to, yeah. to embrace and, and learn from. So Absolutely. So... Um, you know, certainly a new hero of mine. I'm glad I, I dug into that. And, uh, so <laughs> we will raise our glasses to Fabian Garcia. Definitely. Here's to the good stuff. May, May last, last a long, long time. time.